It's been said that every quilt tells a story, and it's so true. But I also believe every quilter has a story to tell. I wanted to hear about the people behind these wonderful quilts and thought you'd enjoy hearing about their lives also. Welcome to A Quilter's Life. Lynn Lancaster Gorgeous is a lifelong quilter. She has a passion for combining fabric, color, and design to create one-of-a-kind works of art. She draws inspiration from traditional quilting techniques, but also enjoys pushing the boundaries and exploring new methods and styles. Lynn is a textile conservation and restoration expert, specializing in antique and vintage quilts, clothing, military uniforms, and flags. Lynn, thank you so much for joining us on A Quilter's Life. I am so excited to hear your story. I'm excited to be here. I have loved quilts for many, many years. Well, I want to start with how we connected. I think I saw you on Instagram. That's right. I am going to go into selling some of my collection later on because I collect antique quilts and vintage and antique clothing. So my son, who does websites and things, said, Mom, you need to have an Instagram presence first. So I've just been putting up online some beautiful quilts that I own and hoping that that will get people to notice them and we can talk about them and they can learn more about me. Great. That's a great way to get your name out there. Let's jump back to tell us where you were born and raised. I grew up in Wayne County, North Carolina, on a tobacco farm. So I have been around farm women who were quilting and making clothes for my entire life. So that is definitely what led me in this direction. You said it was a tobacco farm, but did it also have farm animals? Yes. We had pigs. We had horses. We had cows. We also grew corn. Soybeans, all our vegetables, we canned vegetables, we froze vegetables, we made jams. And so, no, I was a very intricate uh, part of this as, you know, from a small child on. I attended my first quilting. I was probably around four or five years old. And my neighbor across the road would have quiltings in the wintertime and all the women would gather And so my mother would take me over with my baby dolls and I would play under the quilt racks. So I have been hanging out with quilters for a really, really long time. Did they ever let you put a few stitches in? I don't think they did. (laughs) (laughs) No, I don't remember that they did. But I'll tell you, the first thing that I sewed that I still have We did have cotton on our farm for a while, and I picked cotton when I was probably about six or seven, and I made a small pin cushion using muslin and the cotton I'd picked still had the seeds in it, and I wrote in red ink, I love you, and I gave one to my mother and one to my grandmother. So I am assuming that I did that probably for Valentine's Day or for Mother's Day, but I have been sewing since. Oh, how cute. I'm (laughs) sure they appreciated that. Well, they must have because I still have them. So they kept them in their little sewing kits forever and ever. My grandmother sewed. She sewed beautifully and she crocheted. And she and I were just bosom pals. She lived next door. And I learned all of my sewing skills from her. My mother did not like to sew, but she was a tremendous cheerleader later on as I continued to sew. And she always loved it. In fact, she loved to hem things, which was really interesting. And when I was graduating from a two-year woman college in Raleigh, North Carolina, over spring break, I made my graduation dress out of 11 yards of fabric, and my mother and I made it in a day and a half. And it was strictly because she was ironing as hard as she could at the seams and also doing any of the hand hemming that I needed her to do. So that was a wonderful experience. 
What a neat project to do with your mom. It was indeed. My mother, as I said, was just tremendously excited about my sewing. And in fact, when I was in high school, she wanted me to start making my clothes because she said clothes were so expensive and I love to sew. And I told her, I said, I don't want to use that old little singer you've got. And so she said, okay, I'll go out and buy you a new sewing machine. So she had a lot of faith in me. So she ended up going out and buying a brand new touch and sew sewing machine. This was when I was 16. And I completely fell in love with making my own clothes. And I took off from there. And for the next several years, I made, I would say, probably at least 30 or 40% of the clothing that I wore. Time I was out of college, I started making baby quilts for my friends who were having babies. Was there a special childhood memory as you were growing up on the farm? Oh, my goodness. There were so many. We grew up with a pond behind our house. It was probably about a quarter of a mile or so back behind the house. And it was amazing because this was in the 60s. And I could just go down there and spend the whole afternoon just playing and doing with my cousin. My mother didn't worry about me a bit. She would just say, make sure you're home by supper time. We sure wouldn't do that with kids now. And so we'd go down there with a fishing pole and catch little fish. And we just knew we better not put our toe in that water. And we didn't. We were good kids. So, no, that was a terrific experience. And I did fish some with my granddad. And he was really funny because I was a little chatterbox. And he would say to me, now, Lynn, we have to be really, really quiet because if you talk, the fish won't bite. That was his way of just getting me to stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) But we were very close. I grew up in an extremely close-knit family. I have a brother 10 years older and a sister six years older. And we all worked on the farm together. And we are still extremely close friends and spend a lot of time together when we can. That is so nice because so many times family grows apart. So that is really nice to hear that you get together with them. We do. In fact, we own a beach house together that's been in our family since 1961. And because of that, our children love and adore each other. Between us, we have eight children. They have eight grandchildren between them. And now I'm getting ready to have our first grandbaby. And because of that beach house, the kids and all of us just love and adore each other. And we have spent an awful lot of time down there developing strong relationships. That's so important. Besides sewing, did you have any other employment? I've had lots. My degree started out being clothing and textiles, and then I found out all I could do with that was be a buyer for the department store. And I decided that I absolutely did not want to do that. Didn't want to be a home ec teacher, so I went into education and taught second grade for a while. But then I worked for the North Carolina Arts Council as a supervisor for an artist program. I worked in a mental health system doing some training. I managed a gourmet cookware shop. I worked for Cuisinart Food Processors Company and did classes and demos for them. The way I got into the textiles is my husband has a business. It's a Civil War business, but also lots of military. And he and a friend started a Civil War museum. And in the process, he was buying flags and uniforms. And some of them were not in great shape, and he was paying a textile conservator to do work on them, to make them so that they were presentable for display. So one day he said, you know what, you could do this, and it would cost me a lot less money. So at the time, I thought, oh, yeah, I could, couldn't I? And my boys were getting bigger, so I looked into doing a graduate program, but lo and behold, I found out that I was going to have our special daughter. And so I had to kind of regroup and it worked out just fine because then I started taking classes all over the United States and I've even gone to Europe to do some training. And so I started learning how to stitch according to what museums wanted 
and to be able to identify antique textiles, antique sewing techniques. And so that's a whole different journey that my life led to. But I also love to do classes. And so I now teach a lot of classes on antique textiles and how they are made and the history of them and collect signature quilts and talk about that. And I laugh and tell people I found out I absolutely love to teach, but I just don't want to teach people whose mama made them go that day. So (laughs) that is why I'm much better as a teacher of adults regarding textile history than I am teaching little children, unless it's just Sunday school or something like that. It makes all the difference when the students want to learn. Oh, it absolutely does. I love an enthusiastic audience. Now, you were born in North Carolina and you still live in North Carolina, but did you move very far? Well, I didn't move very far in the towns where I grew up and where I live now. They're only about an hour and a half away. But I made a long journey to get back to North Carolina. I graduated from Peace College in Raleigh, and then I went to East Carolina University in Greenville. And from there, I was determined that I wanted a different state's license plate on my car. So I got a job in Virginia teaching. And then later on, I ended up working at a camp in upstate New York up above Lake George. And then my husband and I, when we got married, we lived outside of New York City in Pearl River. From there, we moved to Westboro, Massachusetts and lived there for seven years. Then we decided we had a baby and we wanted to have more children. And we said, you know, we need to be close to our parents and our families. And by then, my husband's antique business had really taken off as just a side thing. He was in pharmaceutical industry work. And so he he said, let's give it a try. Let's see if it'll work. And so we moved to North Carolina. We had a two-year-old and I was pregnant and I didn't have a job. And he moved here to start an antique business between the two families in Newburn. His family lived on the coast and my family lived a little bit more inland, but it worked and it's been a great life. So we now have two sons together and a daughter. So we've had a good life doing this. Is there anything else you want to tell us about your family? Yeah, this is kind of a real important thing in my family, I think. My mother, unfortunately, had a massive stroke following a failed angioplasty when she was age 67. And by then, I was sewing a lot. I was just getting into the textile restoration, but I was also making quilts. And I'll tell you, I'm more of a baby quilt maker. I love hand quilting. I love piecing, but I just don't want to make great big quilts. But I was making those kinds of things. But my mother didn't speak after this stroke, and she ended up living 18 more years. She was in a wheelchair most of that time, and so I started making wheelchair bags for her, for the back of her chair, and I was making them out of pretty bright, colorful, fun placemats, and I was using things that had beach scenes and holiday scenes. And this way, people would look at them and they would see my mom and they would comment on them and they would connect with her. I had done things with her clothing to alter those to be more adaptable. I helped with some bathing things that she could use, a robe that would go over when we were bathing her to give her privacy. And this evolved into me doing a sewing pattern book. It is the only sewing pattern book that's strictly for things to be made for wheelchairs and walkers. It's called Walk and Roll, and I can't even remember the second part of the title now, but, you know, other accessories, basically, to use with wheelchairs and walkers, and that is one of the most special things that I think I've ever done. It was a way of me making a little bit of sense out of what happened to our mother and to use it as a way to help other people, and I feel that it did. So I've done quite a bit of that and talked to church groups and civic groups and things to share that information with them. That is such a needed area that we don't always look to. That is wonderful. 
It is. In fact, there's a whole nother book in my brain. I just don't think I've got time to do it. (laughs) But it really is. I saw that her room was just so black and white sterile. And so I just wanted her room to be extra special. She had a beautiful signature quilt hanging on her wall that her extension homemaker group had made. Then we had a quilted bed spread for a bed. So I tied in my sewing and other people's sewing as much as I could just to make it a much more cheery, happy atmosphere for her. And then we adapted it with some of the other patients as well. So that felt really good. And my mother loved it. In fact, the first time I showed her one of the bags I made, she only spoke then if it was very emotional. And I sat her in another chair, wheeled her wheelchair around and said, Mama, look at this bag I made for the back of your wheelchair to take your tissues and your scarf and different things in. And when she looked at it, she said, oh, pretty. And I said to my sister, I said, that's the prettiest pocketbook she's had in a long time. And my mother did love a pretty pocketbook. That's incredible that she was able to say that. And how wonderful for you. If you had the opportunity to talk to your great, great, great grandchildren someday, what would you want them to know about you? Wow, (laughs) that's a big one. I guess I would want them to know how much I loved our family, how important they were to us, how important our faith has been to me, and how it's gotten us through the best and the worst of times. And I would hope that they would be creative and I would encourage them to use their creativity. One of my favorite little sayings, poems, is about if you had, I think it was two tokens that you would use one for bread, for your sustenance, for your body, and then the other one would buy hyacinths for your soul. And I think that that is just something that I would want to say to them. Make sure you remember the beauty that's around you and let that give you hope and energy and sustenance when there's nothing else there to hold on to. Mm-hmm. Besides quilting, are there other crafts that you do or have done in the past? Way too many. My house shows that. <laughs> it's a nightmare at times. But, you know, I've said to my children, you will never say that your mother is boring. And that is because I crochet, I knit, I've done needlework, I have done a little bit of painting, and I love to make wire jewelry. So I have always just done any kind of craft that comes along. I've always wanted to learn it. I learned to tap years ago. That was the most difficult thing I've ever done. And it was one of those that I said, okay. I've made 10 tatted snowflakes. I'm done. I'm never doing that again. But I'm glad that I know how to do it. So I've always loved making Christmas ornaments and incorporating different things that I do. My daughter, when she was getting married, married a young man whose family was from Ireland. And I ended up making wire hearts because his last name meant heart in Irish. So I gave those to all the guests who were coming. So that was a way of me showing my love. And right now I'm making burp cloths and receiving blankets and I'm crocheting a little baby blanket and I'm just finished up a little crocheted hat for hopefully for my grandbaby to wear home from the hospital and use the blanket to wrap her in. So no, I have got so many hobbies. I love to walk. I love to swim. I swam this morning several laps. And so, yes, I keep extremely active. And I also do teach Sunday school and try to do other community things, if at all possible. That's great. Thank you for teaching Sunday school. That's important. (laughs) I'm getting ready to teach a bead class. It's for prayer beads. And it's a whole different concept. I'm a Presbyterian. And there's now a Protestant bead 
thing that's used for prayer that's kind of similar to a rosary, and it's used by other religions. And I did a class on the history of stained glass last year for a Sunday school class. So I love incorporating my love of the arts in many different ways. And I also sang in the choir for many, many years. That's great. I know that takes a lot of time to invest in those children. It does, but I love it. I've always done vacation Bible school. I haven't done it for the last two or three years, but that was a great way for me to meet the young families and their children, even when my children were no longer at church. And so I was always one who helped with the crafts or was in charge of the crafts. And being a Pinterest nut, I just went crazy just finding all sorts of cool things to do during Bible school. So I've always enjoyed doing that. So I'm looking forward to having grandchildren so that we can play and do crafts and arts projects together. And I do hope they'll sew. I recently bought a sewing machine for my daughter. She was not really excited about it, but I'm hoping one day that maybe she will pick it up. But actually, my son is more interested. He has a boat restoration business in Wilmington, North Carolina, and he has actually bought a machine to sew canvas cushions and things. So he and I are way overdue a class between the two of us for him to learn more about sewing cushions. But even as a little guy, he loved my sewing machine because he loved machines. So he was always fascinated about my sewing machine and had great fun with it. That's going to be so much fun. It will. I'm very, very excited. Well, do you think any of your hobbies somehow show up in your quilting? I think my interests show up in the quilting. I definitely choose fabrics a lot of times that kind of go along with a coastal theme because we only live about 30 or 35 miles from the ocean. And we also live on the conflux of two rivers. So water is always around. So because of that, I love the colors of the blues of the water and the sky and the clouds. So yes, I think that that does influence me. And I would say some of my favorite patterns are stars and how they can be so varied. And down here, we have just an incredible location down on the beach where the stars are so bright that right near there, Cape Lookout, they have now designated it as like a premier stargazing area. So I have always loved that. In fact, my husband's grandmother and great-grandmother made a fabulous quilt that's kind of incorporating a star and a moon and a sun. And I just love that pattern because that's what I love about being on the water is the different colors and the excitement of stars because they can just be so energetic. How interesting that you have the opportunity to be in a special place to see the stars. We are very, very fortunate. So we've grown up with shells. So I think the swirling of shells, the makeup of them oftentimes, I think that influences my selection of textiles and patterns. And I really prefer the big stitch quilting these days. Because I can just go ahead and work on it and be through with it after a while and not be so caught up in perfection. A lot of my quilting is just about, I'm doing this because I love you. I'm not doing it to put it in a big show to win prizes. So to me, that is important. I see textiles, I see especially quilts as a way of showing love to people. And so many people don't do it now that it is a wonderful gift because people are very appreciative because it's not like years ago, it was kind of like, oh yeah, me and my aunt does that. My grandmother does that. No, it's pretty rare most of the time to find someone who will make those special gifts for you. So I love doing that. It's kind of like giving a little piece of my heart. Mm Mm-hmm. I have an incredible quilt collection. I have well over 200 quilts. And I try to focus a lot on quilts made in North Carolina 
because I think so many times that people do kind of ignore where they're from. I do a lot of collecting of quilts that are made out of plaids that were produced in North Carolina. And that's a whole nother crazy part of my life. They started out being called Alamance Plaids. And I even was featured in an article in Quilt Folk last summer because I had been collecting these older plaid quilts made in the late 1800s, early 1900s. And I started kind of doing a little documentary with my sister. We were going to find all these plaid quilts. The tobacco farming area we went into, all we kept seeing were 50s and 60s quilts. And finally, I said to my aunt, I said, my grandmother had all these old quilts. Why don't y'all? I said, I've been to several houses and nobody has them. And she said, because they were used up in the tobacco. And I said, what do you mean? And she said, because we used the quilts, the old quilts, to cover the tobacco after it was dried to get it ready to go to market. Because she said, if it didn't stay a little bit moist, we called that in order, that it would crumble all up and they'd have nothing but crumbs to take to market. And so they would lay quilts over these piles of dried tobacco and spritz it with water, but just lightly, just so it was a little bit moist. And then on the way to the market, they would wrap these big piles of tobacco in quilts. My aunt had a great memory. She said, you know, she said, I remember this one man, he'd come in and he had back of his truck full of these piles of tobacco tied up in quilts, kind of hobo style. And she said he would undo them and they'd put the tobacco on the floor and He'd take those quilts and pile them up, and then he would take a nap because he was just exhausted from, you know, gotten up real early that morning, probably stayed up real late. And she said then they'd have the sale, and he'd get his check, and he'd throw those quilts in the back of the truck, and he'd go home and start the process over. And she said, so what would happen? And she said over time, the quilts would get dirty, and also with them being dampened that much, the threads would begin to pop. And so she said, yeah, my father-in-law would come in and say to his wife, give me your old quilts. And by then I'm ready to faint. I'm going, you you can't do that. And she said, we could always make a quilt in the winter, but we could not always have a good tobacco crop. And that is what put most of the food on our table. So I think that's a fascinating story. And I've heard of other people who said, yeah, they grew up in an area that had strawberries and different vegetables and fruits. And if there was a chance of a frost coming through, that they would take a lot of times quilts and put over them in the field to protect them from the frost. So they have covered more areas than we thought. But as far as the industry, I just think it's fabulous. And you can look at my bedroom and my sewing room and tell that I'm definitely contributing to it because I buy fabric whenever I can. (laughs) But it's a wonderful tactile thing. One time I was in a shop with my daughter. She was in a little umbrella stroller and we walked by this display of beautiful silk dresses and she walked up and she touched the dress and it was made out of silk and she said, "Mm, nice fabric. And the lady who was waiting on me said, she spent much time in a fabric store. I said, how could you tell? (laughs) (laughs) So she still likes good fabric. (laughs) (laughs) So that's always been one of my favorite stories. Yeah. (laughs) So cute. Yes. You mentioned that your grandma, that you sewed with her a lot. I'm assuming that she taught you to sew. Is she also the one that taught you to quilt? That's a funny thing, because as far as teaching me how to quilt, it was almost by osmosis, but probably so. Probably did it when I was so young, because she quilted all the time. She made beautiful quilts, and she did the piecing, and then she did the actual quilting, and she enjoyed them a lot. I remember more of her making our clothes. She was in the Extension Homemakers, and I remember she'd always make our Easter dresses, and we'd be in a little fashion show to show them off. And I'll tell you, one of the big influences of quilts is that my mother-in-law was a fabulous quilter. Oh my gosh, she loved piece quilts. And she crocheted, and she did all those things. So, no, I've been taught by a lot of people. When my husband and I lived in Massachusetts, 
before we had children, that's the first time I ever went to a quilt shop. And I was in love. That was in Northboro, Massachusetts. And I attended classes there. And so that's when I guess I became much more cognizant of how to put together patterns and things. And I bought my first Georgia Bone Steel book. I bought the lap quilting book in the early 80s. And it was just a whole new world. So I think that Georgia Bone Steel was just a true pioneer in the field of quilts. Yeah, there's some people that really put some good things out for us to learn from. There are. And then as far as the quilt history, I started learning more about that from Barbara Brackman and Terry Thompson. I attended two different workshops that they did for several days. And I went there and started learning about antique quilts and textiles, how to identify them. And they introduced me to the American Quilt Study Group, which is just a fabulous organization that I have been an active member of. So I would be in Louisville, Kentucky this year to participate in that, but I got to help out with a grandbaby, so I'll miss it this year. But it really is a fabulous group, and they have so, so many wonderful teachers in that group that I feel fortunate to be a part of it. I am just amazed as I get to talk to different people. There always seems to be another type of quilting group in this industry is just getting bigger and bigger in my eyes. It is. It's just phenomenal because, you know, there was a time period when they were doing so many reproduction fabrics and that was just something that exploded. There's no telling how many reproduction fabrics I have. And some of them are so good that you kind of have to pay close attention to. But it was very helpful with my restoration because I do restoration of quilts. And I try really hard to match the quilt's fabric. You know, if you've got a whole lot of this particular fabric missing, rarely am I going to find a period piece that'll work. And so it's great if I can go to my reproduction collection and pull out something that I feel blends properly because I'm a real stickler about that. I want the style to be correct for that time period and I want the color to be very appropriate and not to stick out. I know one time someone said, you don't want it to look like a chain link fence next to a log cabin. And I thought that was a great way to put it. You need to have that split rail fence instead and make it blend. So I enjoy that. I enjoy matching colors and selecting the appropriate look. So that has been a lot of fun for me to do. So I do military flags and uniforms. I'm just finishing up a World War I piece. I'm working on a silk piece of fabric that a World War II soldier brought home. But I really enjoy the conservation and restoration of quilts the most. And I love speaking at quilt museums. I spoke and helped curate an exhibit two years ago with High Point Museum. And I'm going to be helping out with a quilt turning at a quilt show in Greenville, North Carolina in September. And then in October, I'm going to one of the mills that produced the North Carolina plaids that I researched. They're doing a whole big weekend and I'm going to go talk about plaids and we'll exhibit some of my antique quilts and encourage people to bring some they have and tell their stories. Oh, how fun for you and how exciting for those that get to hear all the information you have to share. Whether it's a quilt that you made or one of the ones you found or just any of the quilts, do you happen to have a favorite one? Mm, That's hard. That's like asking me, do I have a favorite child? (laughs) You know, you love them for different reasons. I have two or three quilts that are very special because they've opened a lot of doors for me. And it's called a Palampore. And it's a tree of life design. And they were quilts that were made in India. And they ended up being influenced by the European market. This was all the 15, 16, 1700s. That was the predecessor to chintz fabrics. And so 
I was very fortunate that I went to a quilt show here in Newburn to help them put up the quilt show, actually. And I walked into the exhibit and they were being very careful to hang their new quilts with their gloves on. And there were two men in the back on a big ladder and they were nailing this great big quilt up on the wall. And it's a whole cloth quilt that's not pieced. And it's these beautiful large trees that have all these fanciful flowers and animals and it's in browns and reds and just beautiful. And these men were on big ladders nailing this quilt to the wall. And I said, what in the world are they doing? And they said, oh, well, they do that every year because there's a big hole back there. And that's the opening where we walk in and out of the bathroom and it's just kind of unsightly. And so they hang that quilt up and I just about had a heart attack. So I found the person who owned it and found out that it had been in her family for a long time in Philadelphia. And before the weekend was over, I ended up purchasing it. And it's a Palampore. And because of that, that's my email address. And so I have researched Palampores a lot because they were such an intricate part of the early quilts. And then later on, people would cut them out and applique them and do the center medallion type things. So they have been a foundation for a lot of the quilting that we now see. So I guess that would probably be my very favorite. But yeah, like I said, I love those stars. So I've got lots of star quilts that rank right up there, though. Mm -hmm. When you have the opportunity to work on your own quilts, and we have so many wonderful tools to use now, do you have a tool that you're excited that you have? I'm always glad we've got a rotary cutter, even though I've gotten in trouble with it a time or two. <laughs> I have cut off some fingernails a little extra short before, but no, I think that rotary cutters are just pretty incredible. But I also love a seam ripper. Those seam rippers, I'll tell you, can get you out of a lot of trouble. And as far as sewing machines, I have lots of sewing machines. I have an antique sewing machines. And I have several new machines. I have a serger. I have an embroidery machine. So I love sewing machines. They are still pretty amazing to me. And I love the history of sewing machines. So I have a Wheeler and Wilson, I believe is the name of it. And it is from, for some reason, I want to think that's wrong. And Wilcox and Gibbs, maybe, can't remember, but it's from the late 1850s. And the coolest part about it is its treadle that you press up and down. It's the shape of shoes. But no, I think that that is fascinating. And those people who made sewing machines, uh, definitely we're very much indebted to them that they started that whole thing and made it easier for people to produce the clothing and take care of the needs of their families. And it also increased the use for women to be able to make quilts. Now, I know an awful lot of quilts were pieced by hand, but they were able to finally use the machine by the last century of the 1800s. That was fairly easily to have in your home by then, because by then Singer had a payment plan. And so the women could make their clothing so much faster that it then gave them time to really get into making the pieced quilts and to do more aesthetically pleasing quilts. They did it to show their talents and their skills, their math skills, their design skills. And so I think that the sewing machine freed up women to be able to make more and more quilts. And so that last quarter Before the 1900s, oh my gosh, the number of quilts made then is just phenomenal. So those women finally did have some extra time to do some things that was more aesthetically pleasing. Too many people think, oh, you know, the quilts were just because they used what they had and they used their worn out clothes. That really did not happen much until into the 20th century. So it was more people going to the store and buying fabric or they were using, you know, if they cut out sleeves or armholes or whatever, they had bits and pieces to use and then they could use it in a quilt. Hmm. That's interesting. 
What is your favorite part of the quilting process, or do you like each step along the way when you're making a quilt? I like each step. I like the designing. Usually, whatever you start out with is certainly not what you end up with. And so that's always very challenging to design the quilt. But then to find exactly the right fabric is just lots of fun and matching and putting it away from you, up close to you and all of that. And then I just find hand piecing or the hand stitching. And a lot of times I'll use my machine for the piecing. But then just the hand quilting is so relaxing. And I guess the least favorite thing of mine is putting on binding. For some reason, I just hate putting on a binding. But you got to do that because then go, okay, it's now finished. Except you got to put your tag on it. And you need to label it and say who made it. That is extremely important. I tell people that that's going to make the difference whether it ends up in an antique mall or a yard sale. If it's got a nice tag on it that tells history, then your family's going to keep it in most cases. That's what I like to use my embroidery machine for is to make my label. That is one thing I'll tell you. My embroidery machine is a challenge. I'm just not very computer literate. I keep working on it, but that is definitely something I would like to do better is to be able to make the tags for my quilts because I preach it to people all the time. And then I'm not always so great at doing it then. (laughs) I need to work on that. I've got a lot of tags that I need to make. Share your worst quilting experience. I can't think exactly when it was, but I do remember at one point I ended up folding the quilt in half to do something to it, and I ended up accidentally cutting all the way through and kind of making a hole in it. And then I had to get really creative. So, yeah, you just have to be really, really particular. And I know a while back, I remember one night it was late and I was tired and I was making a quilt top and I went to shake it out and look at it. And I realized I had sewn the corner kind of to the middle (laughs) and I had to get out that trusty seam ripper so it wasn't a disaster but it was just one of those things of it's like go to bed (laughs) or you're gonna do something really stupid so yeah I don't think that I've had anything just major I've seen some people have some major that they spill Clorox on a quilt one of the funniest things I've ever seen in restoration Camille Cognac had a picture in a book she had on quilt restoration where a dog had chewed a hole in the middle of a quilt and so the person who fixed it ended up embroidering a picture of the dog and put it over the hole so I thought that was kind of cool so I think sometimes when you make a mistake that sometimes then it frees you up to be even more creative so it's not always a disaster Why do you think you continue quilting and doing your restoration work on quilts rather than anything else? There are so many things that we could do with our lives, but what do you think draws you to continue doing this? It's kind of odd that people do this, but I think it's the same reason people do any kind of creative process of You know, I have a nephew who's a fabulous potter. My brother, who is older than I am, he still loves to paint. I think once more, it is that we continue to do those things because creating new items and doing something different from anybody else helps you maintain your individuality. So I think that that is very, very important that we continue arts programs in the schools, music programs in the schools. They're essential. And it drives me crazy how so many school systems act like it's just the icing, but it's not. It's a big part of that cake. It is the eggs and the oil. It's what keeps it going. So yeah, so I think that we 
want a creative outlet, but mine is quilts because I love the tactile. I love the feel. I love the touch. I love wrapping up in a quilt and reading a good book. It's like having arms wrapped around me with a good hug. So, yeah, it's better than a blanket that I bought at the store because it's got a history. Mm-hmm. And who do you make your quilts for? These days, I mainly make them for people having babies. I've made them for my kids, but more for my daughters and my son's friends who are having babies. I love making little baby quilts. And something I've started doing, if it's a little girl, I usually will make her a quilt that's big enough for her to stretch out on and take a nap on if she wants to, and then make a baby doll quilt that matches so that then her baby will also have a good quilt. I've told people if you don't give children a memory of a quilt, then they're not going to grow up to love quilts. So I feel very strongly about that, that we continue to show little children, you know, how special it is for something to be made for them and that they too can later on make things for other people. It just makes your heart feel good. It just brings a big fat smile on my face and all that warm fuzzy stuff. So no, I think it's great. And I think that's why the quilting industry has continued. You look at these quilt shows, those people on there, they're just smiling and they're talking and they're happy. And I have never seen a quilt show where people were grumpy and mean and wanting to hurt each other. You know, <laughs> So I just think it brings out good things in people. So I think that's why I will do it as long as my eyes will let me and my arthritic hands will let me. And at times it is frustrating because I do have some bad looking hands, but I just keep pushing. I'm crocheting a little baby afghan for my grandbaby now. And yeah, that thumb every now and then kills me, but I have to go and get my stuff to put on it and take another Tylenol and move on. (laughs) So that's very important to me that one day that my daughter can give something to her grandchildren and say, your great grandmother or your grandmother made that just for so-and-so in our family or made it for me. So I've already been to my daughter's house and took the little christening or baptismal gown that I made for her and some other things that I made for her because I thought that she needs some smock dresses because I just thought she needs those and her babies need to wear them and then take pictures and talk about those pictures. I think it's a good way for people to have a connection when you're gone. Mm hmm. Can you share a quilting tip? I don't know that I've got a tip. Something that I always say to people I'm teaching any kind of sewing to is that their iron is just as important as their sewing machine. If you don't iron those seams and keep ironing that piece of fabric, the seams, the curves in the arms or whatever you're sewing, then if you don't do that, it's going to look like junk when you're finished. So people really need to use their iron. It drives me crazy sometimes to see little dresses at a market or whatever. And here's somebody's got a row of these adorable little girl dresses, but they didn't press the hems. And you just kind of think, oh, two minutes or less, you could have made that look even more crisp. So yeah, use your iron. Mm-hmm. That's an important one. Can you share your business name and how you came up with the name for your business? It is Historic Textile Studio. And that was hard. That was like naming a baby. My gosh, that was a tough one. But I wanted something that could describe what I was doing. And I think to me that the studio means that I've got a special space designated just for my business. And I do have a wonderful, great big room where my husband and I have his business. And then I didn't want it to be just quilts, but I didn't want it to be just uniforms. I didn't want it to be just flags. 
And so textiles encompasses that. And I am primarily working on historic items. So yeah, that's how it evolved. So I'm still pleased with that title. I think it works. But when I end up doing the selling quilts, I'm going to probably go into another area that I'm just going to call Canterbury Vintage. And that's because I live on Canterbury and it's a good English sounding name, which I'm got a lot of English in me with my maiden name being Lancaster. And vintage doesn't exactly cover antiques, but it's enough. People get the idea. And I didn't want it really long. I was looking down your about page on your website and you got to study at some amazing places. I go to any workshop I can find, and that's how I kind of started out with Costume Society of America. Had lots of little workshops that I would do, but the very first big one I did was studying conservation stitching with Polly Willman from the Smithsonian. And she was in Boston to teaching an entire week on how to properly do the conservation stitching which is definitely different from regular stitching because you're supposed to be able to see that it has been stabilized, that you've put something on it to cover up or to hold those moth holes together, but you also don't want it to jump out at you too much, but you want to be able to see it up close. So I was fortunate to do that. Then another time I went to the Smithsonian classes on dry cleaning. And that's because at that time I was working with a lot of wools and also just cleaning in general. So I did a workshop there. And then, as I said, I worked with Barbara Brackman and she's very well known in the area. So I was able to do that. And then I went on two tour groups that were fabulous with Deb Roberts tour group. And with that, the first one, Deb took us to the Christmas markets in France and Germany and the Netherlands. And that was fabulous. The highlight of the trip, though, was that we got to see phenomenal early Indian chintz fabrics in the Netherlands. And we went to some wonderful museums and the Netherlands just have amazing quilts. And then we got to go to the Printed Textile Museum in Malouse, France. And they had an exhibit of palimpsests. So I was especially excited to see that, to learn more about Palampores. Then two or three years later, I got to go to the 400-year, they called it 400 years and something, but anyway, it was basically 400 years of quilts being in existence in the British Isles, and it was done at the V&A in London. And that was just fabulous. And then we went all over England and we were able to go to the mill where Art Gright did the first spinning machine. And so I've been able to have some, I think, terrific experiences and tie them together in amazing ways. But I've learned an awful lot, as I said, through Costume Society of America and the American Quilt Study Group. But yeah, I went to the Mount Carroll Conservation Center in Illinois, and I studied with Rabbit Goody, who is a phenomenal historic weaver in Cooperstown, New York. And the coolest thing about the Boston, Cooperstown, and Illinois is I have a great husband, and I had little tiny children at that time. And so during the week, I would go to school and he would traipse children all around. In fact, the first one I did, our daughter was eight weeks old and he would take her and the boys to parks and museums and do things. He'd bring her back to me at lunch. I'd nurse her and then they'd head out again and then pick me up at the end of the day. So it's definitely been a great family experience as well because of that. We've ended up taking our children to all 50 states because in the end we said, how many have these children been to? And so we then just decided to go ahead and hit them all. In the process, our son was in a study program abroad in Australia. And so we got to go to Australia and New Zealand. And I got to buy fabric in Australia and New Zealand. It was very different things. I have fabric with kiwis and kangaroos on them. So that was very 
interesting to see the different textiles and to see they're different, but they're the same. And to just look at the processes and the styles that are done in other locations and then how they come back and influence each other. Isn't that amazing? That is so much fun to see. It really is. I just was blown away when I saw the Aborigines fabrics because they are just totally different from what we have or that we consider the cute little flowers and just stripes and things. That is just very dramatic textiles. So I made wall hanging using some of my textiles. That's the hardest thing with collecting things like that, though. I look at them and I keep thinking, okay, what can you be? And it's just hard for me to cut them. But one of these days I'm going to cut them because that's one thing I would like to do is make baby quilts for all of my children to give to their children and use the Australian and New Zealand fabrics, just those, so that they have that special memory in just one small quilt. Yeah. Share how exciting it was when you got to be on the quilt show with Ricky Timms and Alex Anderson. It was great fun being on the quilt show. My dear friend, Pepper Corey, who is a quilt teacher and designer and quilt book writer and all of those things, lives an hour away from me. And she and I just have the best time. And she is just wonderful with including me with special things that go on. And so they were going to come see Pepper and another quilter. And they said, was there anybody else in this area who does anything unusual? And she said, well, it's not really new quilts. She said, but my friend Lynn does a lot with historic quilts. And she knows a lot about North Carolina history of quilts. And you also could get the opportunity to see this great big stainless steel tank where she washes quilts and so they called me and that was just the most fun Shelly who did the interview was just amazing she just immediately put you at ease and asked great questions so yes I was very very fortunate to be able to do that and it was definitely one of those highlights of my quilting life I would say it looked like it I got to take a peek at that video and the best part was it really made me clean up my studio because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, we quilters and sewers are not always the best at that. And so I did. I was able to do a little almost exhibit in there that helped me explain the history of North Carolina quilts. I had a great time getting ready for them. And then when they came, they just did a super job. So I'm delighted I had that opportunity. And it was kind of like that with Folk Life. When Folk Life came and did the feature on the quilts that had been used in the tobacco process, we went to a small museum in Kenley, North Carolina. That is the North Carolina Tobacco Life Museum or Farm Life Museum. And it just fit the whole topic perfectly. And they had just the most easygoing, professional, kind photographers ever. I mean, they were just wonderful. And then working with Frances Dow did the writing for the article. And she and I met at the museum one day and just had a really great time walking around and talking. That magazine just is really amazing, isn't it? It really is exciting the way they've done it. And because you can't even really call it a magazine, per se, because it's not at all what we are accustomed to, you know, with all the ads for food and medicines and all that. There are no ads in it. And so it is just a wonderful book featuring a state. So that I was in there with all the other people from North Carolina who were being interviewed was once more one of those tremendous honors. and. It just happened I was talking with my friend Amy Mills, who's head of Quilt Alliance, and told her my story about the quilts and tobacco. So she said to me, they're going to be coming to North Carolina. Can I share your story? And I said, I'd love for you to. 
So I was extremely excited when they called and said, you know, we've never heard of this before. We've looked and looked and looked. And so they decided that they wanted to do it because it was a story that had never been told professionally and put in print. So that was great. Now my great-great-grandchildren will be able to read that article and know that I was working hard on history during this time period and trying to focus on North Carolina. Mm-hmm. That is so wonderful. Lynn, is there anything else about your business you wanted to share? People ask me where I get the fabrics that I use. And that's kind of crazy because I get them from everywhere. And so I have all these big bins of brown wool, black wool, gray wool, green wool. And then I have feed sacks and I have reproduction fabrics. And then I might have just quilt blocks from different time periods that I have those filed away and then I can pull from those for that particular time period. But then at one point I use Spoonflower, which is a company in the Durham, North Carolina area, and they reproduce fabric. And I had this one particular quilt that a mouse had chewed this, oh gosh, not much bigger than a couple of silver dollars maybe put together side by side in the very middle of an 1840s quilt. This quilter had used maybe four or five fabrics in the entire quilt. wasn't like your typical scrap quilt that you could just kind of pull from anywhere. It had to really go with this particular fabric that was in this quilt. This was for May Museum in Farmville, North Carolina. They have a great quilt collection there, and they wanted to be able to exhibit this quilt. Well, I knew it had to look good or it was going to look like there was a bullseye in the middle of that quilt. And I looked and looked and looked and looked. And so finally, I was able to take digital photographs of this fabric in a small area. There weren't great big pieces in it. And then I called Spoonflower and explained to them what I was doing and ended up getting a quarter of a yard of fabric. And we had to try it two or three times, but we finally got it. And to this day, if I looked at the quilt, I have a hard time finding it. And so that is something that people do ask a lot. Where in the world do you find the fabrics? And I find them at, I go to Goodwill occasionally, and I've got maybe a wool quilt in my bag, and I'm trying to match fabrics. Or I might go there with a quilt that I'm in the blouse section and I need to find an exact match for a floral pattern or a close one, one that would blend. There are a bazillion different colors of white and black. So a lot of times I'm there looking at blouses and things. So then you just bring them back and you wash them really good and you take them apart and they become a part of the restoration process. So it's not just found in fabric shops. So I I have to be, I guess, kind of a sleuth to be able to find those. Um, Barbara Brackman said one time, she said, I love Nancy Drew as a girl. And she said, now studying antique quilts and textiles, she said, I'm still searching and trying to solve a mystery. And that's what I do a lot of times. So I think that's why I really enjoy the restoration work that I do. I'm trying to create a whole out of something that's pieced. And sometimes it is a total mystery to figure out how to do it. But I do it and I have fun with it. That's the clue right there is having fun with it. But it is amazing that you can match up those materials so well. A lot of times, it's not just color, it's weave. It is the number of threads in the throws that the weaver made. So it really is, it's a lot of looking very closely. I have a lot of magnifying glasses to be able to compare the different weave structures because that can be very important. Sometimes it's not, but a lot of times it's extremely important. Wow. Lynn, where can we find your business? 
I am strictly on the internet. So people can get in touch with me by palampore, P-A-L-A-M-P-O-R-E at AOL.com or they can give me a call. So if you look up my website, it's listed as textilepreservation.com, lynngorges.com, or lynnlancastergorges.com. And on there, I have my cell number, I have my emails, and people can get in touch with me there. And occasionally, I meet clients at the shop. Really, before I can do a final evaluation and tell people what I can do, I insist that I see the item. So sometimes people will ship me the item or sometimes I've had people drive from South Carolina and bring the quilt to let me look at to see if I can work on it for them. Or a lot of times I will go to a small museum as a consultant and go through their collection and then help them determine what their needs are. So I enjoy doing that. I have worked with lots of smaller museums, and I find that very satisfying. And then some of the times I end up doing lectures for them to talk with their members, to talk with them about how should they take care of their antique textiles and, you know, how should they store them to make sure that they are not damaged, what's the proper fabrics to wrap them up in and not to put all these quilts on wooden shelves. But if you've got wooden shelves, then what do you do to the wooden shelves? So I do enjoy doing that and sharing that information so that these textiles will continue to be taken care of for generations to come. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Well, it was great to have you on A Quilter's Life, and I so appreciate you spending your time with me. Well, it was fun. So thank you for making me a part of it. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You can find more stories on aquilterslife.com or subscribe on your favorite podcast player so each episode will be downloaded automatically. Also, I want to hear about you and your wonderful quilts. Please contact me, Paula Chamberlain, through the website to set up an interview. And as always, thanks for listening.